and that's really all this book is. It's just to show you, you know, my experience with things and my thoughts about how to do this successfully, what what you can do, and 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 also what to avoid, what what I wouldn't do. Once upon a time, there were tens of thousands of makers struggling. Every day they built for hours and hours but didn't ship and didn't earn enough income. One day, the No Code Wealth podcast and newsletter came to help them find the way. Because of this, makers became founders and earned the money they deserve. Because of this, founders can have growth, freedom, and wealth until tomorrow, no code becomes the next big skill that changes the future of humanity. That's what I'm all about. Hello, my name is Abdulaziz, and from an ethical hacker to a European Ivy League business graduate to a hypnotherapist to a growth marketer, I've lost everything twice, and now I'm rebuilding my life one more time, 1% a day. The No Code Wealth podcast and Newsletter are for the makers and founders who have the proactivity, perspective, and persistence to go on this journey with me and get the answers about money, marketing, and mindsets so that makers become earners, earners become founders, and founders get freedom and create wealth. And thank you all so much for the support. This podcast is now ranking very nicely on Apple in the entrepreneurship category top 200 in San Francisco, top 60 in Germany, top 50 in the UK, top 30 in Sweden, top 25 in Italy, and top 25 in India. So please keep going, rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing. My guest today is Andy Strode. From year from Ryerson University to being the president of the board at Volunteer Toronto, Andy started as an ad agency copywriter, wrote for six agencies, went freelance, started his solo agency, merged it with a partner to form a second bigger agency. Then, within five years, he had a staff of 30 people, and that agency was acquired by an IT company for $3 million. Six months later, he started a third agency with a partner, then retired by selling his shares back to the company. Now, he works on project basis, and he has written a book, How to Start a Successful Creative Agency, which will be published in the first half of 2021. The theme of his new book is Think Bigger and Get Professional Clients with Established budgets. Andy, how are you today? I'm very well. Thank you for that kind introduction. Uh, I've been looking forward to our chat. I'm going to enjoy this. I'm going to extract every single drop of elixir and juice out of it. So to begin, I want a story. And since you are a copywriter, you know the value of that. I want the story that made you realize the importance of thinking bigger. Ah, okay. Um, Well, as you mentioned in the introduction, uh, I started uh, my career working for companies, for ad agencies as a copywriter. And then I worked for myself freelance as a writer for six years. Um, When I started to think bigger at that stage was because I was as busy as I could be. Um, There were no more hours in a day. Um, I, I couldn't work anymore, and the only way that I could get bigger was to find a partner and start my own company, a bigger company than a, a one-man company. And I, I just realized uh, I, I, I had to do something about that. And so it was quite simple, actually. Um, I knew what I wanted in a partner. And there was a trade publication. I placed an ad in that trade publication. Uh, I got 30 responses. Uh, I went through them all. Uh, Of those, I met with five and eventually chose one, 
we did a few projects together. No, no, no. One second, please. All right. Because you glanced through like the most important part because I was reading a book called In Search of Cool, which speaks about how the neuroscience, uh, the whole neuroscience of what the brain finds to be cool or not. And hint, 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 it's about what other people, you view them as they're giving you a positive response for something that is associated with coolness. But one of the chapters was speaking about that the primordial question in for all mammals or animals in general, it's who to trust. Because if you trusted uh-huh. the wrong person throughout uh-huh. prehistoric times, you basically died. So right. you need to know who to trust. Well, you received 30 responses. You chose to meet with five. You chose one person, and I'm cut you midway in that sentence where you said, I think you worked on a few projects just to feel things through. Well, what were your criteria as someone experienced probably by now? You have a specific mm-hmm. set of criteria to know, to know who to partner with, and that's mm-hmm. a very important uh, like decision. It's almost the same as marrying someone, partnering with it- someone. Yep, that's very true. You spend a lot of time with them. Well, I I knew what I was doing. I knew the types of clients I had, and, and I knew how I thought we could go forward. So frankly, I was looking for a mirror image of myself. I'm a writer. I The person I chose, he was a graphic designer. Writers and graphic designers work very well together and can form the basis of a company. And that's exactly uh, what we did. Um, so this person uh, had had his own companies. He was originally from the UK. He had come to Canada. Uh, he had experience running his own company, which I liked. He had clients. I had clients. So put them together. Now we're two sides of a coin, both uh, bringing something to the business uh, and, and having a foundation to build on. So, so that's Thank you. And one second, I know I don't want to cut you, but there's okay. like so much gold in what you're saying. I want then two things. One, okay. if someone doesn't have clients, they're not established yet because you said you had clients yep. and the person you chose had clients. Well, mm-hmm. should they not partner up until they make it enough to have clients and get fully books like you were to transition? Or mm-hmm. do you think that it's also good to partner with someone at their level who doesn't have many clients yet or any, uh, if that's the case. And therefore, how would they select that's one, the other? Well, there is a kind of two paradigms when it comes to partnering. One, like you said, a mirror image of you, which Mm -hmm. is the similarity will create harmony. But -hmm. there is another one that says, well, you're creative, you should choose the opposite of you, someone who will have the opposite skills, so -hmm. that you will have a more holistic thing. In your experience, is that a good way? Or do you still believe that a mirror image of you is the right partner to find? In my in my case, it was um, in my advertising agency days. That's how we always worked. We were partnered with like writers and designers together, and so I was very comfortable with that because I like having somebody to bounce ideas off of, uh, to 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 brainstorm and so on. Um, the other option, as you said, is to find somebody who is not like you, who will bring strengths that you don't have. So. I know some people, creative people, will look for a business person partner, somebody to run the business. I chose not to um, because in our business, we tend to handle our own business, if you will. So we would manage the projects in the beginning, meet with the clients. I, I didn't need anybody in between for that. What I needed was somebody to do, help me do complete projects. Um, and to do that, I needed the design aspect, which leads then to production. So, you know, for example, if you're doing a, a magazine ad or, or, or brochure or something, you have to create files that can be printed, or, you know, in some way. So the designers do that. And, and that's what this person did. 
I love that complementarity, but now I'm thinking managing 30 people with you together being creative could have been and might have been a nightmare. Did you hire like some professional manager to be the almost project management person that made sure everybody did their job and kept all the schedules organized? Or did you find that either through learning and development or you had somewhat of a tendency and a knack for management, although that is not typical of either graphic designers or copywriters. Right. No, we you got it right uh, a minute ago. Uh, we did hire project managers. So some people call them account managers or whatever. Account managers tend to be more faced outwards towards clients. In our business, what we did, we hired project managers to manage our internal studio. So when we had 30 people, probably 12, 15 of them, whatever, uh, were graphic designers. We had more graphic designers than anything else. Um, and we had other writers than two in addition to myself. Um, generally, any writer can keep uh, two or three graphic designers busy. So... Uh, that's sort of a ratio we had. And then we had a number of project managers to manage the studio. Project managers also helped with uh, creating um, estimates and, and, and following through with clients. They would come to client meetings, but they didn't lead the meetings. Myself and my partners, uh, we, we led that. We were the principals. We were the people that the clients really wanted to see. And so... Um, you know, we we for we were we were the forward face of the company that way. I love that, and now I have to ask, really, because in each career there is like one project or one event or one thing that makes that career and builds that reputation. Since mm -hmm. you specifically and your partner were the ones that the clients came to or came for. You mm -hmm. had both a, re a reputation. How was that built? Did you have something like a, a package that was uh, gone out or some control or some prestigious, cliche, like a prestigious client that brought you that recognition? Or what happened in your specific situation? Um it, it came sort of by happenstance. It actually came at the very beginning of my freelance writing career. Um, I was introduced to a person who was uh, one of the marketing people at uh, the largest electric utility uh, here in the province of Ontario, and they needed another writer. They weren't happy with the writer they had. So I went in there and and established a relationship and started writing for them. That became my key client. They had so much business at the time. That's that's why I went from single freelance writer to starting a company because of this one particular client along with a bunch of other smaller ones. When we started the company, we brought that client with us. We did a lot of work and we established um, we established an expertise in that industry and related industries. And soon word gets around. And then at one point, we were doing work for five or six different utilities because they don't compete with each other because they're in different geographically separated. Uh, and they appreciate the experience. They, they appreciate somebody who can just walk into the room, already speaks their language, understands their problems, understands their customers, their different customer bases, knows what the various programs are that they're promoting and so on. So it's very fast uh, to get up to speed and they don't have to train us, right? And in fact, we probably have more experience dealing with our larger clients than, than they actually need for their smaller utilities. But that's, that's what sort of spread the word. And then um, and then that, that, one second, so you yeah. notice the Pareto principle being there where probably 80% yeah. of your business came from those big clients, while 20% was from the smaller ones. And maybe that's why one of the tenets of your book is to get professional clients with established budgets, which meet those big clients that gave you the largest revenue, correct? Or is yeah. this just an assumption? Correct. 
Well, uh, two things. One thing to be cautious about, and one of the things uh, that I've got in my book, when you start a company like this, you have to be very careful, and it's hard to do, that one or two clients don't form the majority of your business. In, in fact, as a, a rule of thumb, no client should be more than 25% of your business, and no two clients should be more than 50%, because if they leave... For whatever reason, um, you know, there goes a large percentage of your business. So you have to work very hard to get more clients to to get the ratio right, so that you know their bigger clients are less important to your overall revenue. Right. So, I so agree the, with you one hundred percent. But I am just wondering. You spoke about those ratios, and it's uh-huh. very important and really good. And I'm wondering why do many uh, entrepreneurs tend to not target those professional clients? They think that the sales cycle will be longer. There will be a lot Uh of bureaucracy to deal with them. Uh, Uh The budgets might not be there in the Uh next uh, quarter or whatever objections Uh people might have. And they say, oh, I know how to deal with my own kind of people, those uh, entrepreneurs Uh who are similar to you. In your experience, Uh is this just excuses or objections that don't have real validity and what was the your experience with those professional clients with budgets which i assume is positive since that is the whole Mm -hmm. point of what you encourage people to do yeah yeah well, uh, when I talk about professional clients, I mean the the opposite of that are amateur clients, and so I see a lot of freelance people uh, trying to do business for other small businesses, right? So, you know, independently owned retailers or small organizations, and I've worked for those, and and I don't mind working for those as long as they work in a professional way. So, you know, what constitutes a professional way of working? Well, first off, you have a designated budget. I mean, any business has a budget for rent, uh, for employee salaries, for taxes, and all these things. So, my one of my first questions is: so, what's your budget for marketing? And if they say, well, you know, we don't have a defined budget, you tell us how much it's going to be, and then we'll kind of agree with it or, or not. It's already a red flag to me because they haven't thought about marketing seriously, not the way they think about everything else in their organization. So so this is a problem for me. Um, I, I, I always try to establish budgets and, and get them to think about it that way because otherwise – to use a pet phrase of mine, it's like I'm trying to steal their lunch money. I, d- I don't want to steal their lunch money. I'd rather they go out and have a nice lunch because they haven't budgeted for what I do. And so I am taking money from something else. And in fact, if they could run their business without marketing services, they would. They, they would rather not spend the money on that. So I am not in the business of convincing them that they should do this. If they're not sure they want to do it and only think they're being forced to do it somehow, I'm not going to change their mind because it will be an uphill battle for every dollar along the way. I I don't want that. I love what you're saying. Please share some Mm -hmm. specific stories about like uphill battles, like you said, as well as did you have situations where you literally almost walked out? I mean, you walked out, but I, I, I didn't mean it in a physical way, but metaphorically, yeah. that yeah. you walked out and said no to clients because of such red flags. So two stories, yeah. one yeah. about saying yes to the wrong client and how yeah. much of a headache yeah. that, that was, and also yeah. situations where you found someone who could, you could steal their lunch money, like you said, but you said, no, no more of those headaches and uphill right. battles, I'm right. gone. Right. Well, I, I can tell you, um, we had a client, and again, this came to us as a referral. So, you know, when a friend or a colleague refers somebody, you feel obligated to go see them, and, and why wouldn't you? Um, uh, 
and and so we we did, and we we met with this company. It was a young company and starting up, a serious person, mind you, and uh, you know we started working. And typically, when we worked with new clients, especially smaller ones, uh, and and we talked about a first project to get going, we would ask for a deposit upfront. Um, as once we'd agreed on the budget for something and. I don't know, let's say it was a $10,000 uh, project. Um, we, we would ask for a deposit, and a deposit on a $10,000 project might be anywhere between $2,500 and $5,000, and then the rest to be paid when, when the project was done. In this case, um, this person just re- refused to pay a deposit. Um, and because it was a referral and because we had gotten to know each other we a little bit, we said, well, okay, you know, we'll, we'll just carry on and we'll, we'll hope for the best. Well, it, it, it never worked out. This, this person, although he claimed he wanted us for his marketing team, he always seemed to know better himself. Uh, and at a certain point, we had run up, you know, basically a bill of about $6,000. And we said, we would like to get paid for that before we carry on any further. He wasn't happy about that. He, he still didn't think he was, you know, where he wanted to be and, and just refused to pay us anything and said, uh, you know, I'll pay you when the project is over. So at that point, we had an internal meeting to talk about it. So, you know, our options were uh, to go ahead with the project and finish it and hope we get paid. Or, you know, you could call a lawyer and, and, and demand payment or you could walk away. We walked away. Uh, we left $6,000 worth of work on the table. We said, we obviously don't see these things the same way. You, you, you seem to have a different vision. We don't seem to be able to answer that vision, despite the fact we've tried and tried and tried. And we you know, work with many other clients very successfully. This just doesn't seem to be working out. And so we walked away. And so we just left it. Um, one of my other sort of rules is I, I don't want to get involved with lawyers. Um, usually you spend more money on lawyers than it's worth and it's just a headache. It just takes up all your time and energy and it's just negative energy and I don't need it. So I agree with you. Right. It's like Sun Tzu where he says, don't go to war. The war will cost you a lot more than you expect in morale as well as in money. So try to win without going to war. So that was you and not getting involved with lawyers or with the legal system. And you preferred to somewhat let go off or lose $6,000 than know that that sunk cost is gone, of course, but to add uh, to throw good money and time after bad is not worth it. Yep. I'm going to ask about the book. I yep. know it's wonderful and you're a copywriter and I love yep. writing and we're all like awesome into it. But in the modern times, people seem to value something like a video course or mm-hmm. some uh, YouTube videos or a, mm-hmm. a format that is easier to digest. Why mm-hmm. didn't you choose that? Or are you one of the people like, that will say, I know the kind of people I want. Those people mm-hmm. are readers because leaders are readers. And that's mm-hmm. who I want to have. And therefore, you're being qualifying and selective in that way. And that's why you wrote a book. I'm just wondering mm-hmm. about this. Um, two, two things. Uh, yes, I am a writer, so I tend to write. Um, I, I'm not an on-camera performer, although I have been on camera and I've been on television. It's, it's not my natural habitat. Um, but also, personally, I find, uh, you know, as a reader, I have lots of books <laughs> and, and, I, and I like the format because I can more easily stop and think and reread and think about it and read again. I can go forward to the next chapter, then go back and review and so on. Whereas video, you're either stopping it and pausing it and rewinding it. And, and, you know, it's always moving. It just keeps moving all the time. And I would rather read something and I hear it in my own voice than hear somebody else's voice talking to me. Uh, 
it it just to me vid, video is much more entertainment if you will like i love watching movies uh, i watch lots of youtube videos of all sorts you know instructional things one of my other hobbies is photography so i watch photography videos um so i have nothing against video but if i seriously want to learn something if i really want to understand something I want something that's not moving all the time. I want something that just sits there. I can contemplate. I can write notes. I'll, I'll get myself a notepad and, and I'll write notes. Uh, I can make I can make notes. I mean, if it's a physical book, I, I don't tend to write in my books, but I'll put little uh, notes, you know, sticky notes in there, that kind of thing. So I, I still prefer that format, uh, especially when it's, um, you know, the, this book will have a number of chapters and sub-chapters. So not everything in the book will be appropriate for every person. So they can sort of cherry-pick their way through it, and there'll be a table of contents. So, you know, you can go to the part that you want. You can read it. You can think about it. You can write your own notes and, and so on. So that's why. I love that. Even for me, when there is a transcript for a video, I will choose the mm -hmm. transcript over the video 100% of yeah. the time. I would like then to ask two things. One, did you follow one of the common and uh, known structures for writing this book, whether it's that structure of how to write a book in 14 days or less guaranteed or the M Barbara Minto pyramid or uh, something like that, even the Sean D'Souza uh, kind of outline and model or is it your own model that is one and the mm -hmm. second question i'm gonna bring you back to something you mentioned then when you have this uh, harmony with your graphic designer partner you bounce ideas well it's very valuable for my audience to understand your process of generating as well as improving ideas because ideation mm -hmm. is a huge deal for all kinds of entrepreneurial things whether it's to do what the work that you are doing or any kind of other creative or idea generation process so it's two things the way you outlined the book was it in a way that follows some predetermined structure or you came up with it to represent the um the message that you wanted to convey as well as your ideation and idea improvement process okay um so for the book um no i didn't uh, follow uh, those structures that that you had mentioned um in in my writing experience i've written lots of longer documents so say 48 page 60 page brochures that have a lot of information in them. So I'm, I'm quite comfortable organizing a lot of information. The way I started the book, when I had this idea for it, I just opened a document and just did a brain dump. Whatever I had in my head, whatever thoughts I had, I got them out on, onto my document. I, f I find that's very important because if you don't do that, the ideas spin around in your head over and over and over again. I, I liken it to you know squirrels juggling knives in your head. You never get rid of it, right? And so once, once you have it in a document, then it's there. You don't have to think about it uh, anymore. Um, and then based on that, I started to pull a structure together, an outline. And so I would write, you know, the heads of the, the chapter heads that I saw and, and the, the big pieces. And then within each chapter, I would create subheads and little sections of content. And, and that's the way the book is organized. Um, so that came naturally to me. Um, I, I thought about it. And the ideation process. Oh, so um, again, in, in in advertising and marketing, we're kind of used to that, uh, and you know, we would get a brief for something, and then you just sort of free flow and let things come out. The I think the important thing, uh, whether it's in the marketing business or any other kind of business, um, we didn't take our ideas as being too precious. 
Um, our, our first goal at the very beginning was always to generate a lot of ideas. And, and nothing is off limits. Nothing is silly. Nothing is stupid. Anything and everything. It doesn't matter. Um, and so sometimes if we were doing, you know, in advertising, we'd come up with 20 or 30 very quick scratches for an idea, like not too thought out, just enough so that we understood what this idea represented, what it was about. And frankly, I used to sit with one of my partners. He would put a big drawing pad in his lap, feet up on his desk. We would scratch them out as fast as we could talk. And as soon as we had it scratched out on a piece of paper, one idea per sheet, he would just rip the sheet off the pad and throw it on the floor. Next idea, next idea, next idea. And and we would spend the morning, by the time we were finished, the floor was covered in paper. And so then you'd go back and you'd review them and you'd say, oh, you know, idea number seven is a lot like idea number 23. Well, let's put them together and maybe at some point that'll become one idea instead of two. And and to the point where you, you, you know, some ideas are just, you, you, when you look at them the second time, you think, nah, that's not going any further than this. So forget that. And And we would narrow things down. And... The thing is not to be precious about it. You're going you're gonna to kill nearly all of them. In the end, only one is going forward, right? So everything else you thought about, you're not going to use. But that's okay. Um, it's just the morning's work, and it's just part of the process. So we didn't belabor any one idea. You know, it's not like you got the one genius idea, and now we have to you know, hammer it into shape and make it something. That's not how we started. Um, you, you, you lose the opportunity to explore broadly, and, and I think that's what you need to do. You know, if you're starting a business, I mean, once you've decided what that business is, even within that, there are all kinds of opportunities to think, should we do it this way, that way, another way? There's all kinds of ways forward. Um, and you just have to explore them and, and then uh, figure out which one is going to work for you. You don't, you don't know until you go through it. I love what you're saying. I'm hearing two things. One is that, of course, in creativity, great ideas come from a, um, a whole bunch of very bad ideas that might evolve or trigger something wonderful and that it's not about having one great idea. It's the more... Yeah ideas you have the more yeah. probability something will emerge that is unexpected and yeah. wonderful which is brilliant as well as you mentioned it's part of the process and your book the whole title is wonderful it's how to start a successful creative agency well mm -hmm. there is implied that a creative agency is probably like one of the best choices for a business to start can you compare and contrast the work and having a creative agency compared to other possibilities for a business? And why is it a better choice or a more enriching in both uh, mm -hmm. mental as well as financial terms mm -hmm. um, kind of work? Yeah. Well, um, a creative agency uh, obviously provides marketing and creative services to companies. One of the interesting things about the business is that any given time uh, during my years of working in it, I became an expert in all kinds of things. So at one point I could have told you everything about photocopiers because I did some work for a big photocopier manufacturer. Uh, another time I could tell you everything about hiking trail systems because we built an extensive website for, for hiking trails. I could tell you everything about the hotel industry because we had a big hotel client. Um, and so the reason a uh, creative agency is a good idea for a business is because Every business that comes along, everything new, things that haven't been invented yet, uh, things that are out there now but you know still need promotion, every, everybody needs marketing. Everybody needs to find a way to, to find their customers, to, to reach out to them, to engage them, and so on. It keeps evolving, obviously. I mean, when I started, it was newspapers, television, radio, magazines, and so on, direct mail brochures, that kind of stuff. Then along comes the internet. Now we have all the social media platforms. 
you know, who knows what's next, right? So it's always exciting from from a working in the business perspective because it's always changing. But there's an endless supply of clients. Um, you know, companies come and go, but every day there's there are new companies out there. They're at different stages of their growth. They might be brand new companies or they might be, you know, reasonably established or they might be very, very established. Think about the really established old kind of bedrock companies. They've got to protect their turf against all the new companies. They need marketing and advertising. They they need to change how they do some things. They need to change how they communicate. They need to stay with the times. There's always business, right? And this, this I love back. that. Right? I love it's, it. And I want you, please, 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 in your perspective, since you have so much experience with it, and you began defining what marketing is by saying mm-hmm. you begin engaging with your customers, etc. Let's mm-hmm. do a thought experiment. And I'm sure you did many in your the creative times. Let's yeah. say there were some Martians who came to Earth and asked you this question. We heard or read this word in the dictionary called marketing. What yes. is it in very simple terms so that we get it? Mm. Um, marketing at its heart is just communication. It's, it's telling stories. It's, uh, it's, it's understanding people's needs, uh, requirements, or, or their desires. What, what is it that would make them happy? Um, and so you tell them a story in, in one way or another, right? You, you either might want this product, maybe you need this product. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's also differentiating why your product is different than other similar products out there, uh, how this product would fit into your life. So it's, it's all of that. Um, at, at the very heart of it, it's, it's just storytelling. So simply. Thank you. And then to ask you, which is an objection many people would have about even starting a creative agency? One, were you somewhat born with the with a gene that allows you to be a great storyteller? Or is it something you developed? Or can someone be not a good storyteller, but as long as they build a good team within their agency? There can be more of that managerial kind, and even mm-hmm. that person can be a great and successful um, creative agency owner without them being the talent themselves. Oh, absolutely, and and in fact, the largest agencies in the world right now—I mean, they've all become these big conglomerates where you know holding companies have bought all these agencies and so on. So they're, they're at the very very top. They're just business people. They're, they're, they're not creative people themselves. They're, 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 they might be creative business people, but they don't actually create ads or marketing materials or anything like that. They're, they're people that, that saw an opportunity. They, they bought a number of agencies. They put them together. They tried to you know, make them more efficient. Um, so, yeah, there, there's, there's obviously room there. You, if you're a business person, you can put together a team. Um, as far as you know, people thinking they, they can't get into the business, I mean, most of the people who get into the creative agency business have sort of a similar experience as, as I had. I mean, I, I would suggest you, you don't want to start your own company without any experience. You, you really won't know what you're doing. Um, and, and so I appreciate the time I spent working in advertising agencies. It was a, a long and a thorough apprenticeship, basically. They, they pay you to learn. They expose you to clients. The clients you're exposed to are big corporate clients. So on the client side, these are marketing professionals. Most of them have university degrees. They're getting paid a substantial salary. They understand their job. And so your clients, again, you and your clients are operating as the opposite sides of the same coin. You have a client who has a budget, who has a product they need to sell. You has an who have an agency who try to help them uh, market that product, uh, and you work you work together. The best relationships are, are like that. It it shouldn't be adversarial, but you know to get into that, not only is the creativity, but it's also 
you know, getting along with clients, managing relationships, keeping people close to you. Um, I, you know, one of the things I see uh, on the internet and on Twitter and, and other places is, you know, people promoting, you know, starting your own agency. And for them, it's always a version of, you know, hustle culture, always hustle, make 10 calls a day. And here's what you say. And they give them scripts and here's how you should talk your way into a project. It's, it's not the way I would do it um, because you're going to get a bunch of amateur clients. It's very, very hard uh, to build a company that way. Um, you, you want, you want clients who need a lot of what you, of what you deliver. I, I really wasn't interested in in clients who only had one project that they needed done and then they were finished because you just got to know each other, you understand how you work together and so on, and then they're done. And then, then you no longer have a client, they no longer need to work with you because they got the one thing they needed and it's over. And I understand that, that's fine. But they weren't, they weren't my clients. My clients as much as possible. I had long-standing relationships with sometimes 15, 20 years. You know, clients would change jobs. So a client would work, work in a utility. They'd get a job at a bank. They would bring me into that. So now I've got a utility client and a bank client. Um, that's the way I grew the business. No, I love this. Now I need like to focus with you on something specific, which is mm -hmm. what you said. You seem to have a knack for and a skill at and a genius almost in building relationships, maintaining them, keeping mm -hmm. those people close. Can mm -hmm. you give more details, more insight into what sure. you did, your perception, your mindset, even your, the way you viewed them that helped you put mm -hmm. those into practice so that people understand the way you built relationships. Sure. Um, in, in marketing and advertising, like many other uh, types of business, it's a service business. And so you are in service to your clients. That's it. Um, and it's also a very personal business. So I know we're in a peculiar time now where we don't have face-to-face -face meetings at the moment, but uh, hopefully we'll, we'll get through this and we'll get back to being able to sit around tables in groups. Um, but when we were, um, I always had very personal relationships. So, you know, I knew one of my clients, uh, if I brought her a cup of coffee from a coffee shop, the coffee shop coffee was way better than the coffee they made in the office. And she appreciated that. I knew that. I, I knew I would. I would call her. Say, you want me to get you a cup on the way in? Oh yeah, that'd be great. So I would do that. Um, we would invite clients out uh, to to lunch and sometimes even dinners. Most of the times they would say no, they're too busy or they can't do it or whatever. But they appreciate the invitation. We, we would have surprises for clients. So for a while we were building a lot of websites for clients, big big clients. And so, you know, at some point the, the project is done and you're ready to launch the new website. And so we made sure we were at the client's office because it's usually their IT people that would launch the site, make it live, um, but not just arrive there by ourselves. Um, we, we took a graphic of the homepage. We had a local baker make a big cake, a big sheet cake, and they can make a graphic into icing and put it on top. And we would show up there with a big cake, enough cake for anybody and everybody in the room and anybody who came by, right? People were, it was like a kid's birthday party because nobody expected it. And you opened the box and there's their website on the cake. And we brought our little plates and forks and everything else and stood around and had cake while they launched this new website, right? It One second. So, so uh, no, please continue because you're going to say something wonderful, but is it basically surprising them positively as well as building goodwill and reciprocity? That's somewhat of finding creative and unexpected ways to build sure. goodwill and reciprocity. Is this like a good summary of what you do? And please continue. That was such an exciting and interesting story. But I wanted like the definition so that we view it through that frame. It's, it's, it's the same as having a good relationship with a friend. 
you, you do things it doesn't have to be a big thing you know you're you're not going to go out and buy them a car but how about a coffee right so little things to make make them happy it's like buying your partner flowers or buying a bottle of wine or something right so you know without overdoing it but uh, you know in your day to day i mean you see the other thing is a, a lot of our clients i mean they work in a very corporate environment and I'll never forget a client saying to me, she says, you know, the meetings that we have with you are the most fun that we have in a day, right? And so, because for them it's creative, it's not paper pushing and filing and whatever internal meetings, which are kind of boring. We come, we bring them new things, we give them some options, we talk about creative things. They have fun doing it. It's, it, it lights up their day. So that's what I want to do. Right. Any anything I can do to 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 do that. Um, so you you become friends. You I, I call them business friends. I mean they they might not be you know the same as your family or your personal friends, but they're your business friends. Um, I, I would help some of them. For example, if they were changing jobs, I would help them edit their LinkedIn profile. I want them to get a nice job. Why? I want them to be happy. And side benefit for me, they might bring me along. I get a new client. I don't have to compete. I don't have to pitch for it. They just bring me in, introduce me around. Next thing you know, we're busy. That is so deep. I mean, honestly, it's absolutely wonderful. And it helps a lot that you're not taking their lunch money, like you mentioned, because no. they have established budgets. So it's not yeah. like they need to uh, penny pinch and think about like, oh, that money that I will save on this agency, mm -hmm. I could use it on XYZ. They're like, no, this is our budget. It's okay, mm -hmm. even if you take all of it, as long as mm -hmm. you provide us with the services we need. It's not from like taken from anywhere else. The budget is there. And maybe that's also one of the biggest things that helps have a balanced relationship where you can become business friends because they don't yeah. view you from that place of, oh my God, this is the person that can take my no. uh, rent money or <laughs> whatever. No. 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 So that's a really beautiful place to be. Yeah, and that's 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 if I can just add to that quickly. I mean, it's, it's not only that, you know, you get departments and they have a certain budget. So let's say the department has a budget of a quarter million dollars a year. As they come towards the end of the year, they have to spend that money because if they don't spend it, then next time when budgeting comes around, they won't get that much. We we would do lots of projects uh, in November, December, like start the projects, show me that you've begun this and send us the invoice for the whole project because we need to get it in on this year's budget, on this year's budget. What more could you ask for? I agree. And you mentioned something which is key that when you build relationships and they move around, they take you with them. Oh, you don't have to yeah. pitch. You don't have to do any of that stuff. And actually, that's the right way because if you yeah. think it, think about it as a transactional kind of relationship where you need to keep pitching, you're taking, mm -hmm. like you said, the uphill battle to make mm -hmm. little money, not, not mm -hmm. just to make the same, but because yeah. there is so much time and overhead wasted in you yeah. pitching and jumping from project to project rather than longer term, strong relationships yeah. where you get the velvet a rope treatment directly yep. to the money and i hope and i'm sure it's included in your book can yep. you please speak more about this book how did the idea come through as well as for the listener who want to keep in touch to know when it's out to mm -hmm. read it when it's there or maybe there is a chapter that you're distributing somewhere just mm -hmm. information about how did you get this idea and desire to write this book like what mm -hmm. catalyzed it as well as mm -hmm. where can people connect with you and know more yeah um well um i actually had the idea quite a while ago and and i and i did what i said earlier uh, sort of a brain dump everything i thought about put uh into a document and then i actually let it sit there because uh, i got involved with a few other projects that seemed to take up all of my time so it just sat there for a while and, and then i came back to it one day and i i looked at this document again and I reviewed it, and I thought, oh, you know what? Now, now's a good time. I have some time, uh, and, and I would like to do this. And by nature, I like 
learning things and I, and I learn by doing, and I also like teaching. Um, and, and I'm happy to teach other people, you know, in an informal way. I've never been a professional teacher, but, you know, mentoring, if you will, um, showing people how things are done and so on. And that's really all this book is. It's just to show you, uh, you know, my experience with things and my thoughts about how to do this successfully, uh, what what you can do, and, and, and also what to avoid, what, what I wouldn't do. And, and so I get into that somewhat too. Um, as to where you can find me and, and uh, where you can learn more about this book, uh, I am on LinkedIn. I haven't updated it yet with my book information, but that's coming in the next week, week or so. Um, I'm on uh, I'm on Twitter, um, and and once once I'm closer to uh, publishing it, um, uh, there'll be a lot more noise out there. And yes, I, I will have. Uh, sample chapters, and I will have sample table of contents. Um, and you know, I've been sharing some of these ideas already on on Twitter, um, and and so people can follow me there and and get involved that way. Thank you. I will write all those uh, your Twitter as well as your LinkedIn and any other. Uh, URLs in the description. It was a pleasure. It could go on for a lot more. Mm -hmm. I can feel and know that this book is not written from some theoretical expectation of how life should be or from that hustler kind of side, which we see on Twitter, but from real experience and real success. And I thank you for that. You're welcome. Uh, Do you want to share anything more? There has to be a certain... uh, 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 a, a genuineness in it. If if you're just out there trying to, I don't know, not take advantage of, but trying to make sort of a quick buck, um, I, I think you get less from it uh, than if you're genuinely trying to help people and and get involved and uh, you know really learn about their business and and provide something of value. I mean, the other thing to remember for people in this business, there's no contract that forces anybody to work with you. You know, they're not bound by anything at any day, any time, for no reason whatsoever. They can just decide not to work with you. So, you know, it's a relationship you have to maintain uh, all the time. And, and you are literally as good as your last project. So it keeps you sharp, keeps you on top of things. You You cannot take it for granted. That's just the way it is. Yes, I want to thank you for your day and to the listener. If you have a business idea and you would like to dis- us to discuss it on this podcast, because I'm dividing it between speaking to experts like Andy to get answers about things that are important to us, as well as helping people with ideas, develop them and flesh them out and brainstorm and speak about its marketing, please write a review for this podcast and send me a DM on Twitter at no code wealth. And I'll be happy to have you as a guest. Andy, have a great day. It was a fantastic experience. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Mm-hmm.